I'm going to talk today about a subject that um, and I didn't do an exhaustive search um, of my preaching since I've been here, but I don't think I have preached a sermon on this since I've been here. Um, uh, I have preached on it, but anyway, I, uh, I am today. It's certainly not a comfortable subject, but it is one that I, I felt directly led to preach this morning as we prepare ourselves for communion. As I was thinking about the subject of hell, I thought about the near-death experiences that people have had, and of course there are numerous books out there of uh, near-death experiences people have had, and they have gone to heaven, and uh, so many of those near-death experiences are so similar to each other, and they they um, they can just you know, line up with one story after another. And so it, it occurred to me to wonder, are there um, stories like that of people who have had near-death experiences and who have experienced hell before they were revived? And sure enough, there are just as many of those and maybe more than there are those who uh, go to heaven and experience some of that before they are revived and brought back. Um, and... It's, it's interesting, if you start looking at those, how well they line up with each other and how well they line up with the scripture and with the, how the scripture describes and defines hell. In fact, I, I learned that there are a number of surgeons who have come to faith in Christ simply because of their patients who have had near-death experiences and almost before their um, aware of what they're doing um, and, and aware of what they're saying, they start sharing some of the experiences of either going to heaven or going to hell um, before um, they, they are fully aware and, and out of recovery and all of that. And a lot of times those experiences kind of shut down. People just kind of sh- block that out once they get into, uh, into recovery. But a lot of times surgeons will get to be aware of some of that when someone actually slips that far uh, um, out of uh, out of life here. And so a number of surgeons have actually come to faith in Christ out of some of the experiences of people going to hell and what they say about it and others um, as they talk about heaven. But the fact is that you and I don't base our theology and what we believe on near-death experiences, even though they may collaborate and may agree with um, what the scriptures say. What we do um, is focus on what the Bible says and what um, Jesus has to teach us. Now, we don't give this subject a whole lot of attention today in the church. Um, but Jesus gave it a great deal of attention. In fact, he talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. If you go through the scriptures and do a survey of it, or just plug in those words in in BibleGateway.com, all those kind of things, you'll discover that Jesus talked a lot more about hell because he was concerned about people not, you know, living in such a way they didn't end up there. And so Jesus talked a lot about hell. And there really isn't anyone that you and I should respect more in regard to what he has to say about hell than Jesus. Because he is God and because we as Christians believe that Jesus died, descended into hell, 
in our place and has been there himself. He came for the purpose of coming to die on a cross so that you and I would not need to go to hell. That was the purpose for which Jesus came. He came to save us from that place and he came to bring us to eternal life so that we could live with God and with Jesus for eternity. So when Jesus proclaims that there is a certain place called hell, I want to listen to him. Because there isn't anyone else that I respect more or that has more authority to talk to me about the subject of what happens after death than the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is, do you really believe that there is a real hell where real people go? Do you believe that? We are all kind of like children who don't want to be held accountable for the decisions we make. But, and I watched this, I, I love seeing it at school. Children, they, they will want not to get caught for the things they are doing. But they will love to report on what everyone else is doing. <laughs> and you and I are just like that. We haven't grown up. <laughs> and, and that's the way we are. Um, you know, the number of people, they tell us, that actually believe in hell, that number is increasing today. The number of people who believe that they are going to hell is decreasing. <laughs> but Jesus says that there is a road leading to destruction that is wide and many are on it. And there is a road leading to eternal life that is narrow and few that are on it. Now here's something I want you to catch. Just because you and I may not choose to believe in hell doesn't make it go away. <laughs> Just because your friends may not believe in hell doesn't make it go away. And you and I need to be ready for it. We need to have made preparations so that we know that is not where we're going to end up when we die. Now, Jesus, when he talked about hell, it's interesting, he didn't talk about hell for the purposes of outreach to unbelievers. It's interesting that when Jesus talked about hell, he talked about hell to his own disciples, to church people, and to self-righteous people who could find something wrong with everyone else except for themselves. That's who he talked to hell about. And when Jesus begins to describe hell, he uses some terms that I want you to think about. First of all, Jesus says that hell is eternal. Some people, like uh, Seventh-day Adventists, for example, uh, believe in annihilation. They believe that there'll be a short period of wrath and hell where we're held accountable and punished for our sins and then we're just annihilated. We don't exist anymore. You will never find that Jesus teaches that anywhere in the scriptures. He does, that's just not part of the scriptures. Jesus never, ever makes any allowance for that at all. 
Every time Jesus talks about hell, he, ta- he uses the words forever and ever. Jesus is quite clear that there are greater punishments for sins after death when he's talking to the hypocrites, when he talks about Judas and Matthew and the book of John. Jesus preached about a hell that was eternal. Eternal punishment is a word um, in reference to both heaven and hell. Um, and here's the, the summary of what Jesus has to say about hell. Hell lasts as long as heaven does. Heaven and hell last as long as God does. And as long as the devil does. And as long as you and I do. And you have all been taught in the church from the scriptures that you were created by God to be immortal. Your spirit never, ever dies because you were made in the image of God. So there is no end to it. Well, we go on living forever and ever and ever, millions and millions of years after we pass from this life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46 says this, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And Revelation speaks of those who worship the beast, of being tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And then it says this, The smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So I want you to just stop and think about that. There are no breaks. There's no sleeping. There's no fainting spells. There's no commas. There's no momentary relief from everything that we experience in hell. One of the, you know, all of us have been, you know, sick with the flu or we've all had those times when we just wanted something to come to an end. We wanted a break. And we look forward to it. There is no break in hell. No relief. No respite from it. It is forever and ever and ever. It's eternal. And then the second word that Jesus describes hell as is this word fire. Matthew 13 Verses 47 through 50, Jesus says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and they will separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 27 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for sins left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume 
the enemies of God. When you go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, John envisions hell as a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Um, Now, some people say, well, that's not a literal fire. Um, They doubt that it's material or that it's real. But I ask you, what is an immaterial fire? (laughs) I'd like to know what that is. Um, Does Jesus just intend to frighten us away from hell uh, with a scarecrow? I don't think so. Does he intend to use shadows? No, I think he's using real terminology here uh, to scare us away from what is real. Bob Ness, I suppose it was about a year ago now, had that major fire and spent months in Minneapolis or Rochester, somewhere over there. And um, do you know that man? I see him almost every day, um, off and on, at the Wellness Center, and he's still... You know, still wearing gloves and still coping and and trying to recover from uh, that burn. Um, And my first dad was in a a burn one time, was in a burn center for a couple months. Not near as bad as um, Bob Ness's event. But, you know, I've heard and talked to people say one of the worst things in life is to go through a burn. I, You know, and I look at those people and I think... I I never, ever want to experience that, ever in my life. Can you imagine living for eternity with flames engulfing you? As a pastor, there have been a number of times when people have been through so much grief and suffering and all of that, where you finally get to the place where the family gets to the place and, and, and they say, you know, we're ready to pray that, that God would take this person home and take them out of their suffering. And I remember a dear, dear young mother in, in hearing by the name of Lori Bell had cancer and, and pretty much struggled with that the whole time I was there. And, and I remember her fight because she had two elementary age boys and she was determined to live and I remember when dad and and those two boys and Lori finally got to the place where the, the suffering and the pain was too much and they finally said we got to pray that God will just take her home and it wasn't long after that that God took her home but many times I prayed for people that God would finally take them home and relieve them from their suffering. The only catch is this. If we don't know Jesus, we're not praying for relief from suffering. We're praying that they would go somewhere where there there will never be any relief. And it will be worse suffering than what they're experiencing here on earth. In hell, there is no end and there is no hope. All I can see is millions and millions of more years of suffering and torment and fire. One of the Greek words translated hell is the word Gehenna. And it was a garbage dump where the fire was always kept burning all the garbage in that dump. Hell is God's permanent garbage dump. 
that is always on fire except for that you and I, if we end up in hell, we never completely quit burning. We are always burning. There's another word that Jesus uses in regard to darkness, and that is that hell is a place of darkness. Matthew 22, verse 13, speaks of the wedding guest who is cast out of the wedding party and cast out into utter and outer darkness. Jude, verse 13, writes of those in hell as, as being people for whom is deserved blackness, the blackness of darkness. And then something that's much more familiar for us, if you go to the New Testament, you'll see that quite often, hell is a place of worms and wrath. Mark chapter 9, verses 47 through 48, Jesus says, And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. And then Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 6 says, But because of your stubborn and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And I want you to notice there, it says, This is righteous judgment that God sends us to hell. If we do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, have not repented of our sins. It is righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. Now, in the previous text, in Mark chapter 9, more traditional translations, even including the 1984 edition of the NIV, does not speak of their worms. But it speaks of their worm, their worm that eats them and does not die. And it speaks of the fire. If you go back to the King James, it uses that same, their worm. Now, what is that saying? First of all, the fire is the same for all people that end up in hell, but not the worm. Every person in hell gets their own personal worm. And it suggests that each person has a a worm in hell that is tailor-made for them according to the actions of their life here on earth. And just as if we go to heaven, we each get a crown designed specifically for us and for the works that you and I committed here on earth. Um, When we go to hell, there is a worm that's specifically designed for each one of us, and each one of us will suffer in hell according to our own actions in this life. But then I also want you to notice that it also says that this worm never dies. It gnaws at us in hell. The fire is the same for all, but not the worm. This worm, that may come for us at different Uh, In different ways, for some of us, it may be a guilty conscience. For others, it may be self-condemnation. For others, it may be sorrow or shame or remorse or a sense of God's wrath. But that worm never dies. The wrath of God 
is dispensed according to what we have done, just as there are rewards in heaven for what we have done. Now, you and I don't go to heaven or hell based on our works and what we have done. We go to heaven or hell based on what we have done with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is by grace you have been saved, and that by faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. But once you go to heaven or hell, there are rewards in heaven for your good deeds. And when you go to hell, there is punishment for every one of our misdeeds. Another word or description of hell that Jesus gives us is that it is a place of eternal loss of community. You have heard um, this said in many different forms. Uh, from people who like to make light of hell. But Mark Twain uh, probably is the one that has said it most uh, poignantly. He says, you go to heaven for the climate. You go to hell for the company. And he couldn't be more wrong. Hell turns everyone completely inside themselves. Some of you have known When you get so sick and you're so miserable, the only thing you can think about is you. You can't even pray anymore. You've been there, right? You've been so sick at some point where you can't even pray. Hell is a place of torment where you are just so engulfed in your own torment and pain that you can't pay attention to what anyone else is doing. There are no friends, there is no company, there are no relationships. All you may be aware of the shrieks and the gnashing of teeth of others and their screams and their cursing at God and all of that, but all you can do is focus on your own torment. Hell turns everyone inside themselves. It is like a prison, devoid of any righteous person anywhere. And all the wicked are unrestrained because there are no prison guards And everyone is tormented by evil spirits. And that brings me to another point. Hell is a place of torment. Revelation chapter 14 verses 9 through 10 says, And a third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives this mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. Jesus describes hell as a place that replaces music with groans and shrieks, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, with curses and blasphemies of God. It is a place where you and I are separated from everything that you and I like here on earth. Torment. It might be personal Physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, or all of them. Harold Ochniga writes, Heaven or hell has a place for you specifically prepared for you to receive you. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you and will come again to receive you unto myself. But he also said, I will say to those, go and depart from me. You workers of sin, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
And then Harold asked the question, where is your place? Where will you go when you die on the face of this earth? Hell finally is a place of separation from God. People today give very little thought to heaven. But when they get to hell, they will give a lot of thought to it as they were cast away from it. Like Esau traded his birthright for a pot of porridge, we have traded eternal life for hell. John Wesley wrote, Banishment from the presence of the Lord is the very essence of destruction to a spirit that was made for God. You and I were designed and created by God to have a relationship with him. When we cast that aside, when we ignore that, when, and we end up in hell, the worst thing about hell is, is that knowledge that we were designed for a relationship with God, and we can never have that. Dr. Robert Mulholland, who was a professor of mine in seminary, said, there will be a sense of the presence of God in hell, but only as wrath and fury. Some of you read the Old Testament, some of those accounts, and you say, well, how can a loving God do this? All of that wrath, all of the justice of God will be there in hell. Hebrews says God is a consuming fire and he will light the fire of hell and keep it going. The grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ will be in he heaven with us. And hell will be a constant reminder that that choice was offered to us again and again and again. And we rejected it. Many people reporting near-death experiences have reported being able to see from the, the, fire, the lake of fire, being able to look up and see the beautiful city of heaven and wishing they could only be there while they were engulfed in flames before they were revived. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In the judgment, God will either be to us the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, or he will be the Lion of the tribe of Judah that tears us apart. And it all comes down to this question, what have you and I done with Jesus who died on a cross to save us from our sin? C.S. Lewis writes in The Great Divorce, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those for whom God says to them, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. 
No soul that seriously and constantly de- desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, those who knock, it shall be opened. So the question is, what shall we do? Well, first of all, if you don't know Jesus and you're here this morning, you need to ask Jesus in your life. You need to repent of your sin and, and, and intend to follow Jesus. Be washed in the righteousness of Christ so that when you die, what God sees in the judgment is the righteousness of Jesus and not your sin, not my sin. Secondly, Jesus makes it very clear that you and I should avoid causing others to sin. Be very careful, especially with children, that you don't cause them to sin. Thirdly, fear sin more than you fear hell. Because sin is what takes you there. Fourthly, this morning, and this is the reason I believe that God called me to preach on the subject this morning. You need to thank God that he has saved you by the cross. You and I sometimes as church people, we forget what God has saved us from. And we just go on merrily about our lives as though nothing really has happened. But in Christ, you have been saved from hell. And you cannot afford to forget that fact. You should celebrate that every single day of your life. Every day as a Christian is a great day because of where you're going to. And because of where you are not going to. Lastly, what you and I should do is plan to take other people with us to heaven. 